Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. It's my privilege to add my voice to those who have already spoken in congratulations to the graduates from Loma Linda Academy, our school. We're very proud of you, and we wish this was happening in the sanctuary as it does every year this Sabbath of the year. But don't be in doubt about our pride, our excitement, our happiness for each and every one of you. We pray for God's blessings on you as you continue your educational journey and in all of your life ahead. And by the way, you will not want to miss at the very end of our service today voices from Loma Linda Academy singing together in praise to God. Congratulations. The man lay face down, handcuffed, subdued, arrested. He was not resisting. In fact, he was pleading for his life. Three officers held him down, and one, knee on the man's neck, knee on his neck, for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And we watched aghast as George Floyd's life ended. And another gash was ripped into the souls of our African-American brothers and sisters. I was talking with a dear friend of mine this past week, an African-American friend, and he said to me, Randy, I've been watching all the news, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. I've been watching it all, he said. And I have never seen an event like this that is receiving stiff condemnation from every quarter on every side. So what do we do? How do we respond? Now I know, and I'm going to ask you if you would consider not doing it, I know that some of you are reaching for the remote, trying to find the off button. Come on, you're saying. Politics and religion, can you please keep politics out of my religious experience? I understand. I understand you're weary of hearing about it. I understand it's a ghastly experience. I understand you say, I want church to be church. I understand that. Could I ask you, maybe not to hit the off button quite yet? Not quite yet. Because I don't want to be political. I don't want to draw sides, line up on one side of the aisle or the other. After all, we're the church. The ecclesia, the Greek calls us, the called out ones, the disciples that follow Jesus Christ. 
Our questions and our answers ought to grow out of that, not our political affiliations. But since we are the church, we have to answer the questions. What do we do? How do we respond? How are we to think? How are we to feel about such things as George Floyd and many, many others? You know, throughout this week, in fact, throughout the last couple of weeks, a song has been running through my mind. It comes from my childhood days. When I was a kid growing up in a missionary family, we gathered morning and evening for family devotions. Dad would always have us sing. There were a number of songs, a number of choruses that we often sang, but there's been one of those that's been running through my mind these last couple of weeks, the words, the melody. I've been humming it, singing it. I haven't heard it for many, many years. In fact, I'm not sure I ever hear it anymore except in the dim recesses of the hallways of my mind, family worship time. Here are the words. What the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of Him. What the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of Him. He will bring joy and gladness, take away sin and sadness. What the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of Him. Humming it singing it as the world around us burns. What the world needs is Jesus. Now, that's what I'd like to do today. I'd like to think about these matters from the perspective of Jesus. So that's going to require that we do something together. If you're willing to do it with me, I would, I would love that. It's going to require that we leave our contemporary context. We leave our modern world. We leave 21st century America. For me, 21st century Southern California. And we travel back, 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 back. It means that we leave behind burning cities. It means that we leave behind burning anger and embers of hate. It means that we leave behind Republicans and Democrats. It leave, means that we leave behind the House and the Senate. It means that we leave behind Donald Trump and Joe Biden. It means that we leave all that behind. And we travel back. We travel back past the Enlightenment, past the Reformation, past the African slave trade, past the Middle Ages, back, back, back. And we finally arrive in first century Palestine. In fact, we finally arrive at the city of ancient Jerusalem, the city of God, Mount Zion, the city of great gladness, the location of the temple, the city of David. We arrive at the city of Jerusalem only to be struck by the fact that everywhere we look, we see evidence of Rome's power. The soldiers stride up and down the street, clearly in control. 
Their gleaming swords are used quickly and effectively to quell any potential threat. When they meet out justice, they meet it out swiftly and severely. The power of Rome is unyielding, unbending, unwavering, and cruel. But that's Jerusalem. That's not our destination. We're heading north from Jerusalem. North, 50, maybe 60 miles as the crow flies. We're headed north to a little hamlet named Nazareth. We're interested in going to Nazareth because in Nazareth today, a kingdom is being established. The inaugural address is today and we want to hear it. Now you say to me, what do you mean a kingdom is being established? Isn't that dangerous in that day and time? Absolutely. Couldn't the life cycle of the king be in jeopardy? No question. Wouldn't that set up a different set of rules than the ones that already dominate the land? Without doubt. But that's why we're interested in it. That's why we want to be there. That's why we want to see. That's why we want to hear. So to Nazareth we go. All that we live today, that's in the dim and distant future. For this moment, we have settled down into our seats in the synagogue of Nazareth. The story is told in Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, a passage to which I have gone many, many times in my own personal private study and in teaching and preaching. Luke chapter 4. Jesus of Nazareth has come home. He's come home to this place from which no good could come. Hometown boy made good. He's very popular right now. He's come home. He's at his home church. So it should be no surprise to us when they ask him, Jesus, would you read the scroll? Jesus, would you offer a few words? We've heard great things about you, Jesus. Would you be our honored guest and speak to us today? And so he does. Read with me the event, Luke 4. I begin reading in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue, your eyes and mine, were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, 
Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what, what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, Prophets are not accepted in their hometowns. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Some context. Some religious context first. The seat of religious power was Jerusalem. Remember, 50, 60 miles to the south? That's where the Sanhedrin ruled. That's where the Pharisees, the Sadducees battled over power. But make no mistake about it, the rule of religion was iron-fisted. No one could brook its power. No one could overcome its might in that land. And religion tended to be ruthless, arrogant, bigoted. In fact, if you were a poor person, that was evidence that God's blessing did not rest on you. That was the theology of the day. If you were a sick, suffering, blind person, that was evidence that you had sinned. God was punishing you. That's your business, not ours. If you were oppressed, then more burdens were added to you. In fact, this same Jesus will say on one occasion, why do you keep heaping burdens on people's shoulders? You yourself can't carry them. But that was the religion of the day as if the iron-clad grip of religion weren't enough. Let's talk about political power. Political power was just across the Mediterranean in Rome, but the reach of Rome's hand, the reach of Rome's fist, was lengthy. And it had reached all the way into Palestine. The Jewish people lived under the crush of Rome's heavy boot kneeling on their neck. Grim times. Many people lived hand-to-mouth existences, just barely surviving. Beyond that, they were burdened with the guilt of a God who apparently was angry with them. The poor yearned for something, some semblance, some flicker of hope in their future. But all they could cling to was the dim and often vanishing slender hope of one day a Messiah. It was a grim context. Remember, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are two millennia in the future. Republicans and Democrats 2,000 years away an angry, bruised, and bleeding America a long way off. 
Because when we read what Jesus said, what he read and spoke on in the Nazareth synagogue, we're tempted to think that sounds like some politicians, some would-be presidents, some would-be mayors, some would-be house members, political talking points, trying to get elected. No, 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 no. We've left all of that behind. We are in first century Nazareth. Did you note what Jesus said? He takes the scroll and opens it. We don't know if that was the assigned reading for the day or if Jesus himself chose the reading from Isaiah 61. We don't know for sure. The text doesn't say. But whichever it was, he finds Isaiah 61. A, a passage dripping with messianic implications. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Isaiah actually says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That last line, a clear messianic statement so that when Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, there's an electrical charge that shoots through the room. It's the Messiah. Now we read these words from Isaiah and from Luke. And we think surely Jesus is being spiritual here. He's talking about spiritually poor and spiritual prisoners and spiritually blind and spiritually oppressed, right? Well, the answer is yes and no. Because when you read Luke's gospel, you realize that Luke is very concerned and catches on things that Jesus both said and did that have to do with physical issues, with social issues, with issues of everyday life. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount that Matthew records, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Very spiritual. In the Sermon on the Plain that Luke records, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, Woe to you who are filled now. Woe to you who laugh now. For you will weep. Are these spiritual needs? Yes. Are these physical, social needs? Yes. That's the Jesus of Luke. What the world needs is Jesus. Just a glimpse of Him. How are we to think about these matters? How are we to approach them? You see, I very much want the Jesus of John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave. 
I love the Jesus of Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. I am drawn to the Jesus of John 14, 27. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I love that Jesus. The Jesus of Luke 4, that Jesus can cost me. That Jesus is dangerous. That Jesus can get you killed. Because he says some very strong things. As I was reading and studying this this week, I was reminded of a statement I may have shared it with a few of you before, but it's a powerful statement made by the late Fred Craddock, New Testament scholar, homiletician extraordinaire. Dr. Craddock said this, where you have some who eat and some who don't, whatever you have, you don't have the kingdom of God. That's Jesus in the Nazareth synagogue. In fact, based on what Jesus says in the Nazareth synagogue, it leaves me wondering, could we adapt, adjust Dr. Craddock's words? Where you have some who experience justice and some who don't, whatever you have, you don't have the kingdom of God. Wherever you have some who are heard and some who are not, whatever you have, you don't have the kingdom of God. Wherever you have some who are protected and some who are not, whatever you have, you don't have the kingdom of God. In fact, that term, the kingdom of God, is a curious one. Because we, in, in my faith tradition, in the church I love and to which I've given my life and which has given life to me, the Seventh-day Adventist church, when we speak of the kingdom of God, we tend to think about the kingdom then, there, someday to come. Jesus comes in his ministry announcing the kingdom has arrived. The late Dallas Willard helps us understand that by defining the kingdom of God in this way. Willard said, the kingdom of God exists wherever the will of God is done. The kingdom of God exists wherever the will of God is done. Have we not prayed countless times our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have we not prayed that? Jesus here in the Nazareth synagogue speaks to people who are hungry, yes, of spirit, but hungry of body. 
people who, who are blind, yes, in their spirits, but some of whom are blind in their bodies. People who are oppressed, yes, in their spirits, but also in their world. And to them he's saying, the kingdom of God has come. It has arrived. And that's going to do a dramatic about face in your lives. The kingdom is here. Now remember, forgive me for being redundant. We're 2,000 years before modern day America in our world. This is not a political talking point. This isn't the domain of the Democrats or of the Republicans. This isn't Joe Biden or Donald Trump. This is Jesus in Nazareth. And that is why so many who have stepped into his footprints have followed him in this way. I watched my mother and my father do this. Yes, they were all about the gospel of Jesus, preaching and sharing the gospel. That was what drove them. But do you know what? I could not tell you how many people in need my father helped. Helped to find jobs. Helped to find a place to live. Helped to secure an education. I could never tell you how many meals my mother cooked baked, to feed people who were lonely, people who were hungry, people who needed food. They work to change lives for people now. They did it across cultural lines, national lines, racial lines. As two people coming out of the South in Fort Worth, Texas, somehow this kingdom of which Jesus spoke got a hold of them and they live lives of service to all and they are far from alone countless others walk those same paths put their feet in those same blood-stained footprints to meet spiritual needs absolutely to meet physical needs to meet social needs no question what the world needs is Jesus just a glimpse of him this is Jesus in the Nazareth synagogue. Now this Jesus will leave this Nazareth synagogue and he will go on to build a cadre of followers around himself. Twelve specifically, twelve disciples. Have you lingered over their names any time lately? Considered who they are? Were we able to see them today, we might be struck by a number of things. We might be struck by the fact that, that there are many of them poor. We might be struck by a fishy smell in the air when we're around them. We might be struck by not every single one of them is poor. That, that one over there, he, he looks fairly well off. We do notice he has sticky fingers. We might notice a number of striking features about the people this Jesus of the Nazareth synagogue will choose to be his disciples. But all of the things we might notice, one of them is especially key. He has chosen people across what we today would call the political spectrum. 
After all, there's Simon, Simon the Zealot. It's believed, it's believed that Simon the Zealot was a member of that party, the Zealots, right-wing extremists who were all about protecting the purity of the Jewish nation and the Jewish religion and the Jewish temple. They were willing not only to be killed, but to kill in order to protect that. Simon the Zealot, one of the disciples. And then on the other end, Matthew. Matthew the tax collector, Matthew the collaborator, Matthew the traitor who has sold out to the Romans, draining the resources of his own people, lining the pockets of his Roman overlords. They're all there. And understand that the landscape in between is dotted with other perspectives. No wonder that Luke tells us that the night before Jesus called them, he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Can you imagine his prayers? Oh, God, help me. What have I done? I should have just stayed with one side of the political aisle. Now I've got everybody. So, God, please, let me be the God of each one. And let each one understand you. That's the Jesus of the Nazareth synagogue. What the world needs is Jesus. Just a glimpse of him. But you read the story. You know how it ends. It does not end well. This Jesus of the Nazareth synagogue can get you killed because that's exactly what happened. All the way on the one hand from amen, preach it, brother. We love it. Isn't that Joseph? He grew up down the street from me, made our dining room table. That's him up there preaching. It went from that all the way over here to kill the preacher, kill the preacher, running him out of town to that cliff on which their town is built, ready to cast him headlong to his death. Wow. This Jesus can get you killed. What the world needs is Jesus. Just a glimpse of him. It's not just the passage. That was tough enough. But it was the application Jesus made of the passage. He said to the people who listened, who had nationalistic fervor for all of the realities with which they struggled, they knew we are the ones, the chosen people, the chosen race. That's us. And Jesus had the temerity, the audacity, to say to them, God is a bigger God than your race, than your culture, than your national boundaries. In fact, Jesus said, look at your history. Look at our history. There was a time when God bypassed all of us, bypassed all of us, to care for a widow 
in Zarephath and Sidon. He gave to that widow what Israelite widows didn't get. There was a time when he bypassed all the military people and all the lepers in Israel and went to Naaman the Syrian, healed him when all of ours suffered and struggled. And at that point, they've had enough. Done, they say. He'll pay for this with his life. They race him out of town, intent on murder. Well, kneel on his neck. See how that feels. You remember the story? The story tells us something about applications that preachers make. You remember the story of the preacher in the frontier logging town? One of my favorite stories. Not sure quite why. So this logging town decided, we, we need a church here. So they set about to build a church. And then they said, we need a preacher for that church. So they brought a preacher into town, and that preacher preached. Week after week he preached, and they listened, and they said amen, and they shook his hand at the door. Good job, preacher. And then one day the preacher was walking out near the river where the logging was going on, and he noticed that his church members, his townsfolk, were pulling in the logs floating down the river from the camp upriver, pulling them onto shore, and taking the end of the log where the other camp's brand had been burned in, and they were sawing off that end of the log and placing their own brand on it. And the preacher was disturbed. He got up the next week, and he preached a sermon on the commandment, Thou shalt not steal. And everybody said, Amen. And everybody shook his hand at the door, and everybody said, Great sermon, preacher. Keep preaching. And he couldn't understand so he went back to his study, back to his Bible and reading, and the next sermon he preached again on the same text, Thou shalt not steal. Only this time he said, And thou shalt not saw off the ends of the logs, and then imprint them with your own brand. And at the end of the service, they ran him out of town. Was that the frontier? Or was that Nazareth? What the world needs is Jesus. Just a glimpse of Him. So maybe it's time to head back to the 21st century world. Maybe it's time to leave Nazareth in the rearview mirror and come back to this place. Actually, on the way, I'd like to make one stop. I'd like to stop in the 19th century. It's a rough time. It's a time when there is deep racial division in this country, slave and free. It's a time when Abraham Lincoln and the Union have prevailed. Freedom has been declared, Emancipation Proclamation. That's a nice thought but not a reality for many. I want to stop there. And I want to listen to three quotations from a diminutive woman with a prophetic voice. Her name, Ellen White. I want to read three simple quotations. 
I really had to contain myself. There were so many. I even had to pare these down. Quotation number one, dealing with this announcement in the Nazareth synagogue, she writes, in the announcement which the Savior made in the synagogue at Nazareth, he put a stern rebuke upon those who attach so much importance to color or caste. Those who slight a brother because of his color are slighting Christ. I call upon every church in our land to look well to your own souls. Many who claim to be children of God are children of the wicked one and have all his passions, his prejudices, his evil spirit, his unlovely traits of character. But the soul that is indeed transformed will not despise anyone whom Christ has purchased with his own blood. Wow. Maybe it's not just in the first century that Jesus can get you killed. Building on that theme, here's a second quotation. The Lord's eyes upon all his creatures. He loves them all and makes no difference between white and black except, listen to these words, except that he has a special tender pity for those who are called to bear a greater burden than others. Whoever of the human family gives themselves to Christ, whoever hear the truth and obey it, become, become children of one family. The black man's name is written in the book of life beside the white man's. All are one in Christ. Birth, station, nationality, or color cannot elevate or degrade men. The character makes the man. And then one last quote. Christ came to this earth with a message of mercy and forgiveness. He laid the foundation for a religion. I think that happened in the Nazareth synagogue. He laid the foundation for a religion by which Jew and Gentile, black and white, free and bond, are linked together in one common brotherhood recognized as equal in the sight of God. Friends, these are not the words of a politician fishing for your votes. This is the Spirit of Jesus. What the world needs is Jesus. Just a glimpse of Him. So let's leave behind the 18th, the 19th, and even the 20th century and come to the 21st. When we come to the 21st century, I actually want to take you back to Nazareth. Back to Nazareth. Back to that place where Jesus preached these words. I had, along with quite a number of our friends and colleagues here at Loma Linda University Church, had the wonderful privilege of being there just over a year ago. We went to that place on that mountain where it is thought the crowd may have rushed Jesus with the intent of throwing him over. There, there's a drop there, not exactly a cliff, but not far from it, where you can stand overlooking the valley before you. And you can picture that mob ready to kill him. There's a place there where you can take pictures. 
our tour guide, our land operator, Ezra Kalmovics, large Israeli, maybe six foot six, six foot seven, expansive. I love Ezra. Ezra said to me, Randy, let's take a picture. Took me out there just overlooking the valley. So let's take a picture together. So there we stood. And then he said to me, now, Randy, look visionary. I'm like, look visionary? How, how do you look visionary? He said, look visionary. I said, Ezra. He said, look into the distance and point. So I did that. And they took a picture. I love this picture. Standing there at that place outside of Nazareth looking visionary. I love it so much I showed it to freshman med students a few months ago when we were talking about similar themes. I love it so much I wanted to show it to you. I love this picture because I love Ezra. I love the view, the vista there of that part of the Holy Land. You know why else I love this picture especially? Because Nazareth is a good place to not just look, but to be visionary. It's been good for that ever since that itinerant rabbi named Jesus cast his vision for the church. A church where good news is preached to the poor, where the oppressed are set free, where the prisoners are liberated, where the blind receive sight, and where people of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people come together under the blood-stained banner of Jesus. So how do we respond to what's happened in our land? We respond with prayer. God, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. We respond with friendship. We find our African-American colleagues and neighbors and friends and ask them, how are you doing? I want you to know that I care about you. I care about your experience, what you're going through. We respond with our abilities and our strength and our influence to pray and act so that the kingdom of God may be here in earth and in heaven, in both. Because the truth is simple. What the world needs is Jesus. Just a glimpse of Him. What the world needs is Jesus. Just a glimpse of Him. He will bring joy and gladness, take away sin and sadness. What the world needs is Jesus. Just a glimpse of Him.